Are you ready to take the lead in the dance of life? Fall in love with who you are right now and find uninhibited joy every day? Then it's time for you to flaunt your smart, sexy, and spiritual self. Join radio host Laura Cheadle and learn how the five steps of flaunt can help you quit seeking approval, proving your worth, and release you from the judgment of others. Express all that you are, discover your naked self-worth, and finally, enjoy the life you've worked so hard to create. Hello, you're listening to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle, and this is going to be a fairly deep and personal show. Today's show is about regret. Now, talking about regret is not necessarily fun because it brings up, you got it, things that you regret. It brings up pain. It brings up a lot about what you have done wrong. But it's also vitally important to talk about regret because like so many other painful topics, it's easy to shove down things that are uncomfortable, things that don't feel good. We truly do live in a society, in a culture that is uncomfortable being uncomfortable. We don't like to talk about things that hurt. When somebody is crying by us, we get uncomfortable. When somebody's expressing an uncomfortable truth or an uncomfortable emotion, it's all too easy to turn to humor and to make a joke or to say something that diminishes it. Oh, it's not that bad. You'll get over it. Don't worry about it. We, we all feel that way. It's all fine. Instead of holding space for those uncomfortable feelings. And yes, I want to acknowledge that it doesn't feel good to be in an uncomfortable state. It doesn't feel good to be sad or mad or filled with shame or regret. It doesn't feel good. But the thing is, denying it and shoving it down doesn't help. Ignoring it doesn't help. Pasting on a smile doesn't help. Yes, it's good to look towards the future, towards positive things. Yes, it's good to use some humor sometimes to make something difficult. But it's vitally important that we don't just deny and laugh and distract ourselves from the important emotions that we are feeling. What precipitated this whole show was a lot of the social justice stuff that is going on in the world right now. As you know, all over the world, (laughs) there's a lot happening. I live in Colorado, and we recently had a shooting at a Boulder King Supers which brought up a lot of pain in me because I also live by Columbine High School where there was a shooting because I was also sitting out front picking up my kids during the Deer Creek High School shooting because Sandy Hook impacts me because I sat there and watched 9-11 and that impacted me 
because I watch the videos of police brutality and it impacts me because I see mothers crying because their sons were shot and it impacts me. There's a lot of stuff that's going on on in the world that's making me feel right now. And it's making me feel deep, painful things that I can't control because I can't control other people. And I know there's good cops and I know there's bad cops. And it's scary that I can't control that or trust in all cops. And I know there's good people and kind and loving people. And I don't know there are racist, hate-filled people. And I can't control that. And I can't tell which ones I'm interacting with. Because coronavirus has got all of us in a weird space too. It's even more than other people impacting us. It's that suddenly this virus that I can't see could take me down. It could kill my parents or my kids or my loved ones. And I can't control it. So there's a lot of grief that I'm feeling right now. But layered over that, it's the regret. And that's what I wanted to focus today's show on is that regret piece. Here's the intersection of grief and regret for me. When a lot of events happen in the world that are extraordinarily unfair or pain-filled or disruptive, it causes me to self-reflect. Part of that grieving is that this could have happened to me. That idea that this mother's son was shot in the chest by a woman who mistook a taser for a gun. This woman's son had his neck kneeled on. This woman's daughter was at the grocery store shopping. This woman's child or partner or lover or friend was going to work the day the Twin Towers fell. It's, it's that magnitude of losing people that you love and what these people must be feeling. And why did that not happen to me? Why have my loved ones survived? And when will it happen to me? When will it be my turn? So there's that grief and that fear and that guilt all at the same time, which, like I said earlier, causes me and causes humans too to move into a place of self-reflection. And that place of self-reflection then is, have I lived my life fully enough? Have I done it right? What did I screw up? And for me, that is a big one because I am a perfectionist. And if you are a perfectionist too, you might be like me in that. Thinking about the ways you screw up cuts you to the quick. Because it cuts to your worthiness. Because when I think that I have screwed up, I think it makes me unworthy. 
Unworthy is a friend. Unworthy is a mom. Unworthy is a partner. Unworthy is a business owner. People trust me with their life in so many different ways. And the idea that I have let them down or worse, led them astray can almost be too much for me to bear. And then as these thoughts start cascading in, it leads me to a place of what do I do with this? What do I do with this? What do I do with a sudden realization that I've screwed a lot of things up? What do I do with that? I'm in my 50s. I've got 50 years of regrets. What do I do with all of them? And let me back up. I have lived my life right. I have done the best that I can. I have always tried. I have not liked the feeling of regret. And I've knowingly not liked the feeling of regret since I was a little girl. So I have striven to not make choices that I would regret. Yet, I still make mistakes. And being human is imperfect. And it's okay that I'm imperfect. And at the same time, it kills me sometimes to think of my imperfections and the mistakes that I have made and the impact that those mistakes have on other people. Hence, the feeling of regret. Now, this is heavy. <laughs> this is really heavy. And my, my intention is not to lead you into a place of regret and doom and deep and darkness, nor is my intent to be like, and that was really dark, and here's the top three ways to get over it, and yay, jazz hands, it's all better. Because that's not real either. My intent is to kind of marry those two ex extremes. To get really real and really vulnerable and open with living life does mean dealing with both. And life is transitory and emotions are transitory and feelings are transitory and shame and all of that stuff. And it's what we do with it that matters. And I am a huge proponent of feeling our feelings and feeling them fully, but sometimes that's hard. So I guess in a word, this is a show that might raise more or more questions than provide answers. And I think that's okay. I think that is my intent. Is to sit with you all and to say, you know what? I have questions too. And the more I think and the deeper I go and the longer I live, the more questions I will have. And the more questions you will share with me and the more questions you will have and the more questions I will pose to you 
and the fewer answers we will collectively have. And those questions will cause grief and they will cause shame and pain and blame. And they will make us want to run and avoid because feeling it is painful. But I think the greatest act of humanity that we can all do for each other is to just allow each other to feel, to cry. Holding space from a space of feeling, not from a space of, I am a trained therapist and I will be here and I will calmly let you cry. Or from a place of, I have it all together and I've been there and I'm just going to watch you go through the process because I can see you are on square eight of 47 and don't worry, you will get there. But holding space from a space of equal confusion, holding space from a space of equal regret and holding space from a space of equal despair. And to me, that is powerful. And to me, that is the greatest thing that we can do as humans for each other. It is, I wanted to call it a, a, a weakness, and but it's not necessarily a weakness. It's, it's a frailty but it's not a frailty. It's a weakness, but it's not a weakness. It's, it's our cracks. It's our humanity. It's the stuff that we don't know. I don't think it matters what your spiritual traditions are or what you believe. I think there's this universal connectedness in all religions around we don't know it all while we're here. And we have this happy belief or this happy idea that spirit knows, God knows, the universe knows. And whether it's that our lives are preordained or that we have total free will or that it's some mix of the others, it's still this idea that we don't know, but somebody does. But what would it be like if we don't know and spirit doesn't know. We don't know when God doesn't know. That alerts me <laughs> in a whole different way. And the point is, in life, we don't know. It's not even about having intuition or whatever. Of course, we all have gut feelings where I think we're all intuitive, but it's the fact that we really don't know what life would bring because if we knew what life would bring, it would be really hard to want to go forward because a lot of life is not that pleasant and positive. And that's okay. And that first step is the awareness, the acceptance of our frailty, our weakness, even though I don't necessarily love those words, but it's the fact that we can be rocked. It's the fact that we are not in control and that even if God is in control 
we don't know. And as long as we don't know, we're still in that frail human weakness form. And that we will be rocked. We will be rocked to the core in this life. Not just once, not just twice, but lots and lots and lots of times. And ow, who wants to live like that? And how do we be okay knowing that there's a lot that we have to go through? And yes, there's a lot of good stuff too. But the good stuff doesn't take away the bad and the bad stuff doesn't take away the good. They sit there side by side. No matter what happens, no matter how good we do, bad things still happen to good people. And yes, I personally believe karma is real, but what if it's not? Because so often I don't see it playing out. So for me, when I can sit in that space of, wow, I'm a very fragile being emotionally, spiritually, physically. There's a lot of frailty in and around me. And I make a lot of mistakes because I don't have all of the information. And even when I do have all of the information, sometimes the mistakes that I make or the choices that I make are mistakes and I don't know it until after. And that's the way that life plays out is on a linear path. I've been filled with regret lately over having my dog and my cat put to sleep a year, a year, a year and a year and a half ago. And it's not only around, this is just an example. It's not only around having them put to sleep, but it was around the situations that led to their deaths. My cat was 16 and had cancer, a sarcoma in his eye. He also had a melanoma on his head and he had kidney disease. And I used the information that I had at the time to figure out, do I want a surgery? Do I not want a surgery? Do I want a surgery where he loses his eye and takes care of that? And then we deal with the melanoma later. Do I stress him out and potentially harm the kidneys more with all the medication, with having him put under, or do I do nothing? And I took that information and the fact that with the surgery, I would have had one of the things that I would have had to do with surgery and treatment is also hold him down several times and squirt these eye drops in his eye. And it was very painful. And one of the treatments that we had tried early on that was less invasive was drops in his eye. And he came to the point where he would run from me because he didn't want me to pick him up because the drops hurt his eyes. So my choice was to do nothing because I wanted him and I to have a positive, pleasant interaction through the last whatever phase of his life he was given. And then I have regrets because the sarcoma in his eye got really bad. The melanoma on his head got really bad. And then I have regrets. Should I have done the surgery anyway? Should I have had bad interaction with him? Was that the wrong decision? Could he have lived longer? If I would have done the surgery, if I would have done the drops, okay, it would have been a miserable six months, but then could he have lived another two years happily? And I play things out in my mind about how ill-informed I was 
about the bad mistakes that I made. And the truth is, I don't know. I could have elected surgery. He and I could have had a horrible relationship because he would have hated me because I was always pulling him and torturing him. The medication to put him, you know, to sleep for the surgery, you know, sedated, that could have really wreaked havoc with his kidneys. The vet even warned me it could possibly change his personality. I'm not playing out the best case scenario in my mind. I'm playing out the worst case scenario. And that's just an example of what we as humans do. And I did it with my dog too, who also, who had bladder cancer. Did I keep her too long? Did I make her suffer? Did I do it too soon? Should I have done a surgery around that? She was an old dog too. It's that Monday morning quarterbacking and the pain that I make myself feel around that regret. And it's good to be self-aware, but what is the point of feeling this pain? You have got to, I have got to, we've all got to use our mistakes as learning, as a teaching tool. I will do different, maybe, with my animals now. If I were to raise kids now, I would do things different. I made mistakes with my firstborn that I learned and that I corrected with my secondborn. I have done a lot of different things along the way that I have consciously learned from. When we repress our feelings, we don't learn. Because when we repress our feelings, we don't understand how painful it was. And then we don't necessarily learn because we've glossed over it and we've made this happy little ending. And, oh, it was, it's just really hard. Yeah, huh? it's always hard to make those decisions. Mm-hmm, parenting is hard. Uh-huh. Kids get over it. Ah, ha, 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 ha. We have to allow ourselves to feel in order to imprint the significance on our hearts, on our souls, on our emotions, so we can get better next time. Not perfect. And that's part of the thing. It's still that belief that I will do a better job next time. This was, you know, people are are like, this is my starter marriage. It's not necessarily. We can get better next time, but it might take two or three times. The other thing that is important about regret and feeling regret and allowing yourself to sit in that fragile, pain-filled place of I suck and I'm awful and this is terrible so you can get better at rolling with it. Because like I said earlier, it's not about the depression that life is miserable. But life does ebb and flow. And we do have really good things in our life. And we have really bad things in our life. And most often, we just have them. And it's not related to how good we have done or how, how worthy we are. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if effort in always equaled effort out? Wouldn't it be nice if we just cared and had really good intentions and were able to reap that reward? But that's not the way it works. Sometimes we never get rewarded for the effort that we put in. Sometimes we get lucky. Sometimes it's equal. Sometimes it's not. I practiced law for a lot of years. 
And the reason I did law school was for to fight for justice. And you know what? There's miscarriages of justice all the time. And we just have to be okay with that. We have to just roll with life. We have to adapt. Feel the joy when it's there, but don't think that you can keep it there. Just enjoy it. And I think sometimes we enjoy it more when we do understand that it's fleeting. Feel your pain fully so it can guide you. So you can learn. So you can do a better job next time. Maybe you can guide somebody else through it, but that's not really your job. Your job is to sit there in the messiness, in the pain with them, to hold space from a place of equal brokenness. I don't like the word broken either. (laughs) Equal humanness. The reason I don't like broken or fragile or all of those things is because it implies to me that we've done something wrong. And it also implies that we can be fixed, that if we're broken, we can be fixed, that if we're fragile, we can be made strong. We're human. Being human encompasses both sides of the coin. It encompasses all the darkness and all of the lightness. We just need to get better at holding space for all of it. The other thing that regret is useful for, fully feeling regret, laying in bed at night and crying because you're playing out all of the things in your head that you've done wrong and said wrong to other people, to yourself, to your family. It's okay and it's good. Feel it. But then when you wake up in the morning, ask yourself, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this now? What can you control? There's so much going on in the world. Violence, racism, sexism, kids in cages, viruses, blah, 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 blah. What can you control? And even though it might seem depressing to say not much, It's also important to say, not much, but this is what I can do. Because if we could control too much, it would be so easy to be overwhelmed. I had a little meltdown this morning because of the idea of regret. My very first internship in law school was with INS, the Immigration and Naturalization. Um services. And I did political asylum cases. And it's really hard because not only did I want to help the human who was in front of me, who was seeking asylum in the U.S., whose entire family had been killed before their, you know, before them and who fled and made this dangerous journey to the U.S. and now was getting sent back and they knew they were going to be killed. It's a really tough place to be, and it's really tough to sit across from them and to say, there is no hope, and I can't help you, because it goes deeper than that, because it's not about the U.S. and the immigration and naturalization services, and it's not about me as a lawyer, and it's not about you as a human. 
It's deeper than that. Your whole country has some mixed up political things. Our whole country has some mixed up political things. All of humanity has some mixed up political things, and I can't change that. But what can I control? And sometimes it was as simple as I could reach across and put my hand on their arm and smile and say, I see you now. I feel you now. Let's look at the sky together now and notice what a beautiful day it is right now. It's really small, but it's also really big. I know some people who do hospice work. Some people who sit with the dying. And that's literally what it is, is sitting with the dying. They can't control if that person has pain or no pain, if that person has regrets, if that person is terrified of death. If that person is alone, if that person was a good person or a bad person or whatever in life, all they can do is sit there and wait for death to happen. What can they control? They can control their presence. Whether they're praying or laying on hands or just sitting there quietly, offering support. And sometimes, not sometimes that's enough. It's always enough. So regret does bring it down to such a base level oftentimes in terms of what can you control? The answer is not much. But it does allow you the opportunity to step into what you can control fully. Like I shared earlier, I've been having a lot of regret over my dog and my cat and the decisions that I made. So like I said, what can I learn from that experience? Okay, I've got some things that I can learn. What can I control? Okay, there's some things that I can do differently. And some of that is literally playing with my current dog and cat with more presence. It's grounding in the present moment and fully enjoying them. Knowing that at any point in time, they can be taken from me. I can be taken from them. Things can happen if I just can look back on the time that I had with them and know that I enjoyed it then sometimes that helps. Another thing that regret helps you do, again, when you allow yourself the time and the space to go deep with it, is it really does get you better at accepting responsibility for things. It's hard to look at yourself in the mirror and say, whoa, I did a bad job. <laughs> and especially it's hard because in our hearts, we never wake up in the morning and say, today, I'm going to do a really bad job at things. Today, I'm really going to screw things up for as many people as I possibly can. When you allow yourself to go deep and to feel that pain, it does allow you to take responsibility in a different way. I know that nobody else is responsible for my happiness or my success. I sure would like to make them responsible. I sure would like to say, whoa, 
This business coach, she led me astray in all kinds of ways. And that business coach, you wouldn't believe what she did. I wasted money on that. And this is all I got. And that was stupid advice. And that was really bad. It's my responsibility. And if I'm not going deep with that regret or that shame and feeling it and processing it and allowing it to impact me, it won't ever become a teaching tool. I won't say, wow, I could have done that on my own for half as much money. And I could have adapted and rolled with the punches a little bit better because things are very impermanent. And I could have enjoyed this and I could have not worked so hard there. And I could have focused on what I can control, which is me waking up, having lunch with my friend, talking to my son, playing with my animal. It allows me to take responsibility for my choices in a different way when I have fully felt my regret. And around that, and this is the kind of coaching end of things, it's my capacity to grow. I have to believe in my capacity to grow. You have to believe in your capacity to grow. And when you don't think you can grow, that's why you hire me or another coach to help you grow, to help remind you where you have come from, all of those steps and mistakes and glorious things that you've done along the way too, but that you have the capacity to grow. So much of my work is around identity. Who are you and what do you want? We all like to think that we're good people. We all like to think that we're conscientious people. We all like to think that we're people who do no harm. And it's disconcerting to look back and to realize that we were misled. We were either misled by ourselves or by others. It doesn't matter. But then we have this idea that I'm going to do it right the next time. Instead of thinking there is no right the next time, there is no wrong the next time, but there is no right the next time either. We still think in grand fairy tale style, I'm going to do it right the next time. This time I'm going to lose weight. This time I'm going to get healthy. This time I'm not going to yell at my kids. This time I'm not going to mess up another job. This time, whatever it is, I'm going to do better with the relationships. This time I'm not going to lose myself. This time, this time, this time. And it's just not true. Feel the regret every single time But notice what is the trajectory that you're on. Maybe you lost yourself in a relationship that was a 30-year relationship. Then you got divorced. You got healthy. You did a lot of personal growth, blah, 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 blah. You found another relationship. You thought it was going to be better. But dang, three years in, you were like, I did it again. Feel that pain. Feel that shame. Feel that regret. What did you learn this time? How was it the same as before? How was it different before? Are you better though? Yes, 
Instead of 30 years, you only spent three years. You've gotten faster. You've gotten exponentially faster. It's important to acknowledge your capacity to grow. How many diets have you failed at? If you're anything like me, a lot. (laughs) How many times have you regained the weight? If you're anything like me, a lot. You know, I said earlier, not to use humor to dismiss things, and I do think that's important. And at the same time, It's important to be able to laugh at some of our mistakes. I guess the caveat there is not to use humor to diminish, but to use humor after we fully embraced it as a way to connect. That I've regained those same five pounds so many times, and I feel the shame around that, and I can laugh around it now. Because in my head saying, this time I'm going to do it right and I'm never going to do that again, I know is not true. I will do it again. I'll mess up again. I will be insensitive. I will hurt people. I will make horrible financial mistakes or business mistakes. I will say things that are microaggressions that I don't even realize I will do that. And it's, I will post wrong things. And so will you. But what is my capacity to grow? What is my capacity to post fewer mistakes this year than last year? What is my capacity to make fewer business mistakes, to make fewer relationship mistakes? I am a loving person. Can I be more loving? Yes. I am a compassionate person. This is that know yourself. Yes. Can I be more compassionate? Yes. I am a great parent. Do I have the capacity to be a better parent? Yes. I'm a great business owner. Do I have a capacity to be be better? Yes. Regrets help you to learn and help you to grow. And in that regards, they can be made they can be made positive. The biggest disruptor in my life, obviously, if you've been listening to my show or know my journey, was my husband's affairs and learning about that. If you don't know my whole story, I encourage you to search it out. But the long and the short of it is, we were married for 23 years when I found out that 15 of those years, he had been having affairs with not one, but five different women. And let me tell you everything that came up in me. Yes, there's rage. Yes, there's bitterness. Yes, there's resentment. Yes, there's grief. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's all that self-hatred. If I would have only been thinner, prettier, smarter, better, better cook, better, you know, whatever, you name it, it comes up and I don't care who you are. It will all come up. And then the regret. Why didn't I know? 
Why didn't I notice? How could I have not seen? If I would have only, then he would have. And yes, I do have my regret around that. I did not cause the affairs. And we are not going to go down that whole path of his story. He had a lot of childhood wounds, a lot of abandonment issues. He was severely emotionally and physically abused. And there was, he had a lot of his issues. And that's the part that I don't want to own because those weren't my issues. But I was entangled with him as his partner, as his spouse. So my regret is around how could I have helped him in a better way? How could I have helped him? Which I know is a codependent way of thinking because we can't help other people. We can hold up the mirror, but we can't force them to look. We can offer them the water, but we can't force them to drink. And yet still, I have regrets over things that maybe I could have done that could have changed his decisions. And going back to what I was saying earlier, the importance of feeling the pain around that, the importance of letting myself cry, The importance of recognizing my fragility, my weakness, my imperfection, and being okay with that and not making it that next time I will do perfectly. Using what I know now because of that experience as a teaching tool. What can I do differently next time? Being gentle and loving with myself as I flow from being really positive and on top of the world that I've been through the storm and I've survived and I've been in the valley of the shadow of the death and didn't want to leave and being okay with being both places. I am a positive person. I've always been this positive light in the world and... Sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I suck the life out of people. And I need to be okay with the imperfection of rolling with that. And what can I control? What can I control? I can control me. And it's not about... Necessarily, because one of my favorite sayings is, you can only control your reaction. And that's true to a certain extent. Because there are times when we are overwhelmed by our reaction. And I hate it when people are like, just smile. Because sometimes we can't control our reaction. I couldn't control my reaction around that. There are many times I cannot control my tears. There are also times I cannot control my laughter. Sometimes it's at an inappropriate time as well. 
And I don't think we should control our tears. And I don't think we should control our laughter. And I don't think we should necessarily control anything because sometimes it's incontrollable or uncontrollable. And sometimes that's life. How often have we physically bit our tongue to avoid crying? My husband was leading a meeting at work the day after the shooting at Boulder, the Boulder grocery store shooting. And he was leading a team at work in a moment of silence. And he became overwhelmed with the emotion of it all. And he was doing all those tools, you know, biting your tongue, pinching yourself, rocking, taking a deep breath. There's all these tools that we can use. But sometimes, shouldn't we not use those tools to control? Sometimes, shouldn't we just let our emotions flow freely? Because we're human, and because we have them, and because they're transitory? And what would it be like if we lived in a world where we could cry freely at work, and people could say, hmm, I'm uncomfortable with them crying, and I'm okay with my discomfort around that. And then when you have no shame the next day, and then when somebody else laughs inappropriately at work, and it's like, hmm, I'm uncomfortable around that. And then we can all acknowledge that. Wow, I'm uncomfortable with your crying. Wow, I'm uncomfortable with that statement that you made. Wow. I'm uncomfortable with that and where we could talk through it and where we could work through it. I have heard so much around the whole racism dialogue and conversation that people say they're so afraid to say anything because they're going to say the wrong thing, or they're so afraid to do something because they're going to do the wrong thing. And I guess you will. And I guess I have, and I've been embarrassed by that. I put something up on my Facebook at one point, maybe a year ago, that I thought was very supportive. I think it was right after George Floyd, and I thought it was very supportive. And then several people said, wow, it sounds like you're bragging. And it was like, whoa, that's not what I meant to do. And I thought, I need to lean into this, and I'm not taking it down. I need to address it. Wow, tell me more. And I have to sit with my discomfort over doing something wrong. And I have to sit in the shame that I publicly did something wrong. And I have to be okay with it. And I still think the best way to do that is to say, oh, I'm feeling real shame and real discomfort and real confusion and real embarrassment around this. And I think it's okay to feel that publicly, even though it's hard. And I know Rachel Hollis recently had a post comparing herself to Harriet Tubman and saying she didn't want to be relatable. And there was a lot of pushback around that. And then she took the post down. And then I was talking to some friends around that. And it's that catch 22. If she takes it down, it's wrong. And if she leaves it up, it's wrong. And I don't think either is necessarily right or wrong. And I think she apologized. I don't really know because she's actually not somebody that I follow. But I think what's important around that is being, a, being okay in the not knowing what to do. And I think I would have rather had the conversation around that go, I don't know what to do in this situation. I feel self-righteous around this. I feel shame around that. I feel 
like I didn't express myself clearly around that, I feel, and to put it all out there and then to allow all of us to be uncomfortable because it's okay to be uncomfortable. And then to self-reflect over times that we've made similar mistakes and then to feel that pain of regret and then to lie in bed at night for a couple nights and be like, I'm so awful. I'm so stupid. I regret everything that I've ever done, blah, 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 blah. And then to move into that space of addressing and owning that we're imperfect humans, that we are flawed humans. And to say, wow, what can I do around that? Wow, how can I roll with the punches a little bit better? To know I'm in a valley, it'll even out or it'll spike or it'll go back down for a while. I don't know. I don't really have control, but I do know all emotions are transitory. All emotions are fleeting. So let's just cry here for a while. And yes, I have tools that I can use. I can use my breath. I can call friends. I can read positive, inspiring quotes. I can laugh at cat videos online. I can work out. I can run. I can distract myself. But at the end of the day, I still have to feel it. And then I need to focus on what it is that I can control. And then do that thing. Do that thing. I can get better. I am capable of changing. I am not stuck. I'm born this way. Can't change. We have a capacity to grow. And part of the capacity to grow means making higher level mistakes. (laughs) And that's okay too. And not always will this happen but many times the more grace we give ourselves and others the more grace that comes back to us and no like i said way earlier in the show karma karma doesn't always work the way we think it should work But part of that taking responsibility means extending grace and compassion to ourselves. Extending grace and compassion that I had a trash can day and I didn't get things done that I said I was going to do. I had a trash can day and I said some wrong things to people. I thought I was being helpful and I was being hurtful. And taking responsibility means feeling your shame fully and then offering grace anyway. Because at the end of the day, going back to my dog and my cat example, I have to give myself grace. I was very emotional about losing my animals. Was it the right decision or the wrong decision? I don't know. Is there a right decision or a wrong decision? No, I have to give myself grace around that. I can look at parenting mistakes I made and I can look at parenting mistakes other people made and I can look at relationship mistakes I made and I can make relationships, see relationship mistakes other people made. And the thing is, 
I can't judge them. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I look at somebody and I'm like, oh, look at her. Oh, wow. Did you hear what she said to her kids? Mm, mm, mm. I need to offer grace. I need to offer grace to myself. I need to offer grace to my uh, to others. Because that's the only currency we have. That is the only thing that we truly can offer other people. I'm a coach. I'm a fitness instructor. I'm a hypnotherapist. I teach people tools. I teach people skills, but sometimes we don't need skills. Sometimes we just need grace. And that goes back to talking about when I did my internship at immigration and naturalization. I can just offer people grace from my heart because that's all I had. I can't change our political system. I can't change their country's political system. I can't change cartels and violence and human hearts half a world away. All I can do right now is offer some grace. To acknowledge my imperfection, to acknowledge my fragility, and to offer grace. And that is what I wanted this show to be about. To raise more questions. To allow space for more pain. And for the processing of pain, because pain, it is and it is not contagious all at the same time. It's contagious in that our unhealed pain will be triggered by other people's pain, which is why we're always like, here's a Kleenex, or oh, cry about it at home, or oh, do that in private. Because we're not fully healed, because we're imperfect people, and other people's pain and their, their expression of it and their disasters and their social faux pas triggers in us all that shame and all that pain and all that regret should have done it better oh god my grandma died and i didn't spend that last week with her the way i should have if i would have only known i would have been nicer been more patient been more kind we all feel that way and we don't know what is the end. And all we can do is take that regret and get real with it and feel it fully and allow others to express it fully. And then when we all get more comfortable crying at work, when we all get more comfortable watching somebody experience discomfort, when we are more comfortable experiencing discomfort and having other people watch us, that's that common thread of humanity. That is that grace. That is that mm, dark night of the soul, mm, dark night of the soul, mm, confusion, mm, bad missteps. That's that red thread, that golden connection. That's the soul. That's the oneness that I'm talking about. And that's the only thing that we've got is that oneness. And that oneness is our pain and our joy and our lack of control and our imperfect humanness. And truly that is the best that we can do and truly that is enough. It is my most sincere hope that you walk away from the show thinking and feeling. I would actually love it if you're like, I listened and then I cried. 
I watched the news and then I cried. Look at yourself in the mirror and look at your mistakes. Look at yourself in the mirror and acknowledge all the screwed up stuff that you've done. Not from a place of, uh, but from a place of humanness. Because guess what? It's that judgment. I've done a lot wrong. You've done a lot wrong. I will continue to do way more wrong. I will do harm. You will do harm. It's called living. It's called our life. And it is okay. Take responsibility. Embrace the impermanence of everything and the emotions. Adapt. Go with the flow. Move into your capacity to change. And just accept the fact that this is life and that we are human. And to feel fully, truly, is the greatest gift of all. And to be there while others feel fully. Be there while others feel fully. Thank you, my dear listeners, for always showing up, for always being here. I want to leave you with the acknowledgement of my imperfection, of all that I do wrong, of all of the pain that I carry, that I, in, that I inadvertently inflict on others. I am uncomfortable. I hope you are uncomfortable. Because it is in our discomfort that we acknowledge our imperfection, our fragility, our brokenness. And that we embrace the idea that we do have the capacity to grow. So go for this week and feel deeply and fully. Because it will bring you growth. Offer that grace, offer that understanding to yourself and to everybody you come in contact with this week, whether it is in-person, Zoom, or just media contact with contact with people halfway around the world. Send yourself grace for feeling, send them grace for feeling. Have an amazing week and as usual, Always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network. Overcome the need to please and find the uninhibited joy of being exactly who you are right now. Come find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Find out more and get your free gift at lauracheadle.com. That's L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com. 